So good to see those of you who are here in person. Grateful for all of you joining us online. I got to let you know this morning has been one of the hardest sermons I've had to write in months. Uh, and it's also been a hard week, I know, for a number of people. So let me start off with a story, and then I want to work through our core values, and then we're going to go deep into Matthew chapter 15 this morning. Uh, there's a story of a student who was in a college. It, it happened to be a larger college. It was a class with hundreds of students in there. Maybe some of you went to larger universities. Some of us went to smaller schools where professor, the student ratio was more like 1 to 20. But this was a large class, and the class was ornithology. They were uh, studying birds. And the teacher in this class was known to be one of the hardest teachers, one of the extremely difficult uh, to pass this class. So this one student was prepared for the final, had studied his brains out, showed up for the final, had studied all the books they had studied all semester, and he showed up. And what the teacher had done, and it, he, this teacher had taken 25 pictures of birds' feet, placed them all over the walls of the classroom, and that was the final. You had to look at the feet and then say what bird it was. So this student had not prepared for this. The student walked to the front of the classroom, uh, knelt down next to the teacher and said, I'm not taking this test. And the teacher said, you don't have an option. You have to take the test. And the, the student said, well, I'm not going to do it. And the teacher said, well, then you're going to fail. And the student said, well, fine, fail me. And the teacher said, then, okay, I'm going to fail you. What is your name? And the teacher took his pants, lifted them up to his knees and said, I don't know. You tell me. You want to play this game with me about birds' feet? I'm going to play this game with you about my feet. Tell me what my name is. So I don't know if you could think back through all your years of school, if you could think of a teacher who just frustrated the mess out of you. You could probably identify who it is. And what do you do when you come into church and the one who frustrates us is Jesus? And the story I'm, we're going to study today in Matthew chapter 15 is one of the most frustrating stories in all of the Gospels, in my opinion. It is one of the hardest to interpret, one of the hardest to study. So before I do that, one thing is, like anybody who steps into a worship service with us, I want them leaving church more in love with Jesus than when they came. So the core values are in place in the life of this church to help us understand what the heart of God is, to help form a foundation for us. Because one thing we realize is you could have a vision that is super compelling. You can have a vision full of initiatives and strategies and, and active ways to help people engage the heart of God. But if you don't have values in place that are helping us become the people of God, then vision can be meaningless. So a little over a year ago, we launched eight core values. And I want to I walk you through how I pray through these sometimes. I pray through these at least four times a week. And there are times when I work through the core values in a time of prayer that I'm praying these over the church. There are times I'm interceding for you with these core values. There are times I'm praying them for me. And there are times where I recite the core values in a form of prayer where it is reminding me what the heart of God is like. Like we have these values in place because this is what the heart of God is like. So let me just walk through these real quick with you. We courageously anticipate the movement of God. So sometimes in prayer what I will do is I will say, God, we courageously anticipate your movement because you are a God of movement. Because our God doesn't stay still. Our God's not just treading water. Our God is active. Our God is moving. There is a pace to our God, and our God's inviting us into that pace. I hope that we live with this kind of anticipation that you do every single day of your lives, but I really hope when we come into a worship experience like this morning, or like we will Saturday night at 5 o'clock with the awakening, that we step into those experiences, anticipating God to move, not just going through motions, but that we want an encounter for ourselves and for other people. We want people to have an encounter with God. 
I want to take this moment to invite you Saturday night at 5 o'clock to the awakening. The, the theme Saturday night is going to be gratitude and thanksgiving. And we're going to come in this room and we have gifted musicians, our elders that bless us, that have this monthly prayer experience, uh, worship and prayer experience. And we're going to come together. We're going to worship, teach, invite you into a time of prayer. So I hope you'll make plans to come and join us. Secondly, one of our values is that we boldly raise up discipleship as the mission of the church. And we do that because God is a, is a God who wants to be followed. Like God's not just on a throne where he wants us under his throne. God wants to be followed. God has sent Jesus. Jesus came to this earth to show us and to model what life was like. We have a value that we, uh, we're passionate about connecting people to God, which means we are passionate about the lost and the disconnected. And the reason we have this value is because God seeks to save the lost. This is what God does. Jesus tells stories about leaving the 99 to go and chase one. And if there's a value that is this close to the heart of God, then it needs to be a value that's close to our hearts too. We have a core value that says we willingly stand with the marginalized, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the stranger. And we have this value in place because God is one who lives on the margins. God doesn't occasionally drop a turkey out on the margins. God doesn't occasionally visit the margins. We have a God who lives on the margins. We have a value in place that says that we genuinely care about physical and mental health. So we pray for the whole body heart, mind, soul, everything you are to be made right with God. Jesus wants to set the whole body right. And I know this has been really important for me over the past week. Not just for physical health, but when we think about mental and emotional health, for you to be committed to health, there are times it takes a lot of courage for you to set yourself on a journey to healing. So as a church, we applaud and we support and we surround those who through courage have gone forward and moved forward with their path of healing, no matter what it is they've had to express. And it's really important for us to understand that there are events, maybe like what has happened this past week, that can be a trauma trigger for some people who have experienced forms of abuse or other forms of loss and grief. And when you have events in your life that trigger past events, it's a, it's a trauma trigger, we're a church that is here to support you as a family as you walk that road. We have a value in place that says we are honored to carry a ministry of reconciliation. And we have this value because God is a reconciling God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God is reconciling the entire world to himself. And we have a part to play in that. We have a value that says that we strive to give the next generation a compelling story to live into. Because God keeps creating a next generation. I've got to tell you, yesterday I, I spoke in an event up in uh, Kentucky. It was a youth rally. A few hundred students were there, and we're in this room, just a one-day event. Usually it's a two-and-a-half-day event because of COVID, a one-day event. And I spoke two different times, and I have a room full of teenagers in which so many of them had a physical Bible open in their laps. They had notepads and pencils and pens, taking so many notes for them to discuss later on in their group. I wish you could have a visual image of it, so that you would know how hungry so many people are in the next generation to know Jesus and to live out their faith. God has given the church, God has given us responsibility to tell and retell the deeds of God to the next generation. And last but not least, we are a restoration movement. That our God is not just in the business of preserving the world, but in restoring the world. And God invites us to be a part of that. So with these values in place, I just wanted to serve as a reminder of what the heart of God is like. This is what Jesus was like. This is what Jesus' ministry was like. So when you come across a really hard passage in the Bible to try to understand and interpret, it's good to have some of these values in place as you do. Because the story we're reading today, one of the reasons that make this really hard 
is what do you do when you read stories in the Gospels in which Jesus sounds so unchristlike, Or when Jesus sounds so unkind? And that some people could even make an argument, Jesus sounds like a bigot. So here's the story. And then we're going to go through it verse by verse. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. It goes like this. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. She did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus said to her, O woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. All right. Before we walk through it, let's just admit this. Like, you love, like, when, when there are hard stories like this, like, I think a lot of people want a preacher to stand up and be like, all right, it really isn't as bad as it sounds. Or a preacher to step up and say, you know, in the Greek, here's what, really, here's what it's really saying. So it's really not as hard as this story sounds. Now, when it comes to this story, the easiest way to interpret it, and I'm not saying this is the wrong way, it may be the right way, but most of the way, you've probably heard people preach this story, and I think the easiest way to interpret this story is that Jesus is testing the love of the disciples and the faith of a Canaanite woman. Which very possibly may be true, but the Bible doesn't interpret the story that way. Right? There are times when the Bible will tell a story, and in the story it'll say Jesus told this story or, or did this to test their faith. The Bible does not interpret this story that way. Now, it may be what happens. This may be a story in which Jesus is testing the love of the disciples and the faith of a Canaanite woman. But I, I want to just ask if you have a heart and a mind that can wrap yourself just around the thought that maybe in this story, Jesus is wrestling in the moment and even wrestling in his spirit with what ministry to non-Jews needs to look like and what that will mean and if the time is right. Because in this moment, if Jesus chooses to heal a Canaanite's daughter, then drive this demon out, what are the ramifications of that story? What are the ramifications of that action? What kind of impact will that have on what Jesus is trying to do in Israel and with all the other Jews? I think it may be a moment that Jesus is wrestling in his spirit whether these walls, this is the right time for these walls to come down or not. Now, a lot of times we read stories and we try to put them in categories. And I, I don't really know what to do with this one. Is it a healing story? Is this a story about prayer? Perseverance in prayer? Is this a story about mission? Is this a story about reconciliation? Here's one thing I think is so cool about this story. This Canaanite woman, and we don't know her name. It's the first female voice you have in the entire New Testament. And when you start Matthew chapter 1, Mary doesn't have a role in Matthew she didn't have a speaking role. This is the first female voice you have in the entire New Testament. And it's a Canaanite woman who comes before Jesus over and over and over again begging for a blessing. So you could go challenge any of your family members and friends with some Bible trivia. Who's the first female voice you have in the New Testament? And just see, just see what the responses are uh, from some people. 
Now here's what we know in Matthew. Matthew ends chapter 28 with what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 and 20, what Jesus says is go into all the world. You make disciples of all nations. That's the Great Commission. You go and you make disciples of all the nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You teach them. You instruct them. That's the Great Commission. And you could ask Christians all over the world how important the Great Commission is. I think everybody would say, ultimately, that is the mission of the church. But for you to live a life in which you are trying to fulfill everything the Great Commission is about, it takes a long journey to get to that point. It, you have to be equipped. You have to have a heart that is willing. You have to take risks. And it takes a long time for you to get to a point where you and the church are ready and eager to embrace the Great Commission as the mission of the church. And I think in Matthew chapter 15, this is one of those stories that's preparing the church to live out the Great Commission. Because any mission to non-Jews or to Gentile believers inviting them into a story means that countless walls have to come down. And I'm preaching today in front of hundreds of people online and this morning who are all Gentiles who need to thank God for the countless walls that have come down so that we could be invited into the story we've sung about today and that we celebrate today. So open your Bibles. Nothing else is going to be on the screen this morning until later on in the service. And we're just going to go kind of verse by verse. Get ready to take some notes. And let's just go deeper into this story. In verse 21, what you have is Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon. This is way north and way west of where Jesus spent the large majority of his ministry. This is Gentile territory. It's non-Jewish territory, even though there would have been some small segments of Jewish communities around there. Jesus intentionally went to this place, maybe because in Matthew chapter 14, and especially in chapter 15, the Pharisees and religious leaders have been wearing Jesus out. So Jesus, I think, is trying to get away just for a little bit, so he goes to Gentile territory. Verse 22, it's a Canaanite woman who comes into the presence of Jesus. Now, Jews and Canaanites at this point had thousands of years of hostility and animosity that had built up. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, when they entered into the promised land, it's the Canaanites who were some of the people who were driven out of that land. So you have Jews who reflected on Canaanites, thinking they are godless idol worshipers. That's who they are. You have Canaanites who thought about Jews, and when they thought about Jews, they were the people who drove all of them out of their land. You're talking about a couple of thousand years of hostility and anger. The Canaanite woman knew greatness. Somehow, someway. She knew stories about Jesus. She knew greatness. I think this woman also was fully aware of ethnic barriers. And she didn't care. She had a daughter who was demon-possessed. And she was devoted, committed to doing something about it. Now you read verse 22. It says she came and she's not just sh she didn't just shout. She is consistently shouting, trying to get Jesus' attention. Yeah, Lord, have, have mercy on me. She's crying out to Jesus. It is as if this woman is saying, I need you to do for my daughter what I have heard that you've done for all these other daughters. I need you to do for my daughter what you've done for other sons. I need you to do for my daughter what I've heard that you have done with the touch of your hand, with the word of your mouth. I need you to do that to my baby. And then verse 24 is the first response of Jesus. And it says, Jesus said nothing at all just ignores the woman. So this woman, 
is ignored by Jesus, and then all the disciples begin telling Jesus, just drive her away, send her away, send her out. Like, tell her to shut her mouth and go. Now, at its best, maybe there are some people who try to make an argument that what the disciples are asking is for Jesus to drive the demon out so that the woman will leave. But I, I don't think most of us believe that's what's happening here. The disciples are trying to get this woman who is screaming at Jesus to leave. Jesus ignores her. Then the very next thing Jesus says is, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. In her presence, this is what Jesus says. So right there, Jesus has already ignored the woman, and now he has excluded the woman. I have come to the lost sheep of Israel, which the statement's true. And this would take a whole nother sermon to walk you through how even the New Testament teaches that the blessing is first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. It's as if Jesus even knew that his mission to go to the ends of the earth had to start by offering up good news to the people of God, to Israel, and then through setting them right, the rest of the world can be set right. So even though Jesus knew his mission was going to go far beyond barriers, it started out with Jesus being sent to the lost people of Israel. What he says is true. And then right after that, he says, the lost sheep of Israel, I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. If you were the woman in this moment, would you give up? You've already been ignored. You've already been excluded. But the next action of the woman is she falls before Jesus. It's, it's the word for worship. She kneels down, so it's no longer a face-to-face -face conversation happening. She kneels down in the presence of Jesus, and she says, Lord, help me. It's just an image of a mama who has a baby who is not well, and there better be nothing getting between a mama needing her babies to be well. And she's going to do everything she can to set things right. And I so wish in this moment that Jesus responded right there with, Lord, help me with, with a healing miracle. But it doesn't happen that way. What Jesus says is it's not right, it's not fair to take the children's food and to give it to the dogs. Now I can somewhat soften the blow because... Jesus refers to the woman as a dog. I can somewhat soften the blow by letting you know that in the Greek, the word here for dog is kyraneon, which is for puppy. So I guess technically Jesus is calling her a puppy dog, not just a dog. I don't know if that makes it better for you or not. Culturally, you had Jews who were the insiders and anyone who were the outsiders, they were referred to as either outsiders or they were referred to as dogs. This is what Jesus says. It's not right. It's not fair to take the children's bread and get them feed it to the dogs. And the woman responds almost as if she is saying, I'm not even going to argue that point. It's almost as if what she's saying. I'm not even going to argue that. I know the Jews are inside. I know we're on the outside. But it's like she explains to Jesus about a table with children who are eating. It's like, yeah, but still, children are really messy when they eat and crumbs are going to fall on the table, off the table. And when that happens, dogs are going to eat it. Three different times this woman calls Jesus Lord. She knows she's in the presence of greatness. And one thing I love about this woman, and we don't know what her name is, just Canaanite woman, is that she comes into the presence of Jesus and she refuses to take no as an answer. She comes into the presence of Jesus, committed, devoted, like I will get a blessing. My daughter will be blessed. 
And in verse 28, it says Jesus responds, not just with woman. Some of your versions just have woman. It's oh woman. It's like this, it's almost like a statement of generosity, compassion, honor. Oh woman, your faith is great. It's like mega faith. Your daughter's going to be well. Jesus heals her. There are only two times in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus praises someone for their great faith. And both times it's a non-Jew. In Matthew chapter 8, it's a Roman centurion that Jesus praises him for his great faith. And now in Matthew 15, Jesus praises a Canaanite woman for her great faith. Now, I think Matthew is writing the churches in which this topic in Matthew 15 is a very sensitive one. And I don't think Matthew's writing the churches who are struggling with like Jew, Canaanite. It's not a Jew, Canaanite struggle, but it is a Jew, non-Jew struggle. I think they get that. And maybe in a way this story is a test of the disciples' love. And it is a way of Jesus trying to expand how the disciples think about the mission of God. This is a moment, this is a story that changed them forever to understand that when the kingdom of God progresses and grows, the kingdom of God does not send people away. The kingdom of God invites people in. When the kingdom of God grows, the kingdom of God is not sending people out. It's inviting people in. And even as the kingdom of God invites people in, it's inviting them to a table where there is a seat and it is a place of truth and conviction and righteousness. But the very next story is a story of Jesus doing more healings in Gentile territory. Which maybe this Canaanite woman inspired that kind of compassion to flow from Jesus. And then it's the disciples who in one moment are trying to send a Canaanite woman away. And in the very next story, they are being used by Jesus to serve up bread and fish to a few thousand people who were in Gentile territory. It's already changing in their lives and in their hearts. So I encourage you today, be like the Canaanite woman who was persistent, consistent, came into the presence of God, refusing to take no as an answer, staying in the presence of God for a blessing. Be like the Canaanite woman. And be like Jesus, who was sensitive to wholeness, and who did what was right in a moment when it wasn't culturally, culturally relevant or when anyone else in culture was going to understand. Jesus did what was right. So in this series, at the end of, at some point in every message, I'll offer up to you what I'm just calling a truth and a grace and a reach. As we study these certain places in the Gospel of Matthew, just a truth. What does this story say? What, what does it say that is true about Jesus? A grace? Like, what does this mean for you and your relationship with God? And a reach or a challenge for you as you go throughout your week. And here they are. Here's a truth, a grace, and a reach. The truth is this. Jesus knows his mission. And Jesus knew that his mission was going to go to the ends of the earth. And Jesus also knew that he came for Israel to set them right so that a blessing could flow to the ends of the earth. The grace is this, that you were not invited to take crumbs at the table. You were invited to sit at the table. And this is an invitation for everyone. And the reach and the challenge is this. Do what is right before God, even if culture doesn't understand. You do what is right, even if no one else understands. Will you take the bread and the cup in your hand?
If you're in person and you did not get the bread and the cup, we have a couple of tables in the lobby where you'll find those. If you're online, if you have the bread and the cup, if you'll just take those in your hands. And let's just use this as a moment to commit and recommit, to surrender and resurrender to God. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes? And God, we read a story in which some walls came down. And in this moment, as we remember what Jesus has done for us, a body that was given for us, blood that flowed for us. In this moment, God, where there are walls or barriers that need to come down in our lives or even in this church, come with your power to demolish them. God, and I fully acknowledge, I mean, I've spent weeks working with this sermon wanting to reflect your heart well. And if there are any moments today that I have not, I've not offered you up in a way that is true to your character and your nature, Jesus, I just ask that any words that came from me that don't honor you, that they will just fall to the ground, be demolished by you, be trampled, and that they will not be remembered at all. But if there are words that I spoke today that are true to who you are and how this story is supposed to perform in our lives, whatever is true, may they sink, those, those words sink deep into our hearts and bear great fruit this week. God, in this moment as we commit and recommit, surrender and resurrender, we acknowledge all Jesus has done for us and all Jesus still wants to do in and through us. So we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please take the bread and cup.